I started Aussie X, which was the Aussie experience, merging my love of the physical activity and the no, I can't to yes, I can with sport, but into business. And it grew and it grew really quickly for about three years where I really found all my leadership gaps. When something didn't go well, I took the work off the team. I put it onto my plate. I thought leadership was my responsibility to fix everything. So I wasn't sharing decision-making power. And I kept on getting out of integrity with myself, with the team. I was just beat down mentally, physically, emotionally, everything. And so from that painful experience inside of Aussie X, I now am lucky enough to turn my pain into my purpose. So now I run around all over the place here in Toronto and North America, helping organizations of all different shapes and sizes build their very own performance by design system wrapped around creating a psychologically safe environment for everyone to feel that they can speak up, share their truth, practice real talk, which is not only the difficult conversations, but just as important to catch the good. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Baloo. Boy, do we have an exciting guest lined up for you today. Today's guest is a repeat guest. He's not only been on this show once before, he's been on this show twice before. That is a rare honor and privilege. This man is a mate of mine. He's a good and dear friend. I've been to his wedding. I know his wife and I know his lovely family. And this man has been also a dear client as well. He has been one of the most successful people to ever graduate from our E-Circle Thought Leadership programs. He's one of the leading thought leaders in the world of culture and high performance. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Emil Stoddham. Welcome to the show, Emil. G'day, Nikki. Good to be back, mate. Thank you very much for having me. My pleasure, brother. So, um, you know, longtime listeners to this show know who you are. But what we really want to do today is we want to have a deep dive into you and your thought leadership. I think that's valuable. First of all, I think it's great for you to tell the story. It'll be really good for the, the wonderful TED Talks and other talks you got coming up. But I think it's valuable for people to hear how you got into what you do and how you yep. turn it into a brilliant, passion-driven in the highly successful business. So tell us your backstory. How'd you yeah, get to become right. the great thought leader, Stunham? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, mate. Uh, well, my background, obviously Australian, and grew up in a little town in the south part of the mainland called Wonthaggy, where family and sport was everything. The town was only 5,000 or so people when I was growing up. So the Stunham family was a big big part of the town. My dad was one of 10 children and my mother was actually from Italian background. So there was this really interesting mix in this tiny little part of the world where there was a big Italian population and a big sort of white Welsh Irish background, you know. Wow. So family and, and sport were really big uh, early on in my life, particularly Aussie rules football and cricket and tennis. Um, so as I grew up, um, 
I was very, I was a, a young buck of the family. So the next cousin of which I had 28 first cousins, I was eight years. So I got belted up a lot <laughs> by my cousins, namely. Um, so what I, what I learned in my younger years, my dad was a builder um, and my grandfather was a bricklayer and my mother was an integration aide. So dad, dad and my nonno taught me a lot about sort of a good hard day's work, um, taking naps. <laughs> Uh, they were both nap makers and uh, nap havers, if you will. And and my mum working with handicapped children um, really taught me a lot about compassion. So really being able to sit in another person's sort of seat and see the world from their point of view. So I've got a lot to be thankful for my for my parents and that really country values upbringing. And I think I learned a lot about values as well. I know that you know today we we probably don't even have a front lock you know door lock on the front door. It's that type of environment, and it certainly was when I grew up. So um, fast track, I went, played a fair bit of Aussie rules football as a kid, and then I ended up going into kinesiology after high school and then found a love for the sort of physical education world, was on that pathway to that, and then a Canadian bloke came into a lecture hall and said, who wants to go on student exchange? And I looked at Jasmine next to me, and within sort of three months, um, a good friend of mine, Jasmine, who's still a great mate, and I came to Western at London, Ontario, where we did six months of study there. And I found the snow. I found that snow falls where people live, (laughs) not just in the mountains where you ski. (laughs) And uh, had a really great experience, came back and forwards a little bit to Canada. And in that period, I found that there was a different sports system. Our model was a club participation model where you played for the town and everyone got involved and there was weekend sport and midweek training, irrespective of what level you played. If you were really good, you'd go on a trajectory into the elite professional world. But if you weren't so good, you got to play and you got to be part of your community. Kate went to Western, asked my mates, where do you play on Saturday? And they said, we didn't make the university team. We don't play anymore. Dug down a little bit deeper to realise that high school students at 15, if you're not good enough to make the team, you don't get to play. Didn't really resonate with me all that well. So in 2003, I threw caution to the wind and started running around schools here in Toronto after a few years back home, teaching kids how to play Aussie rules football in schools. I had a really lot of success early on. The biggest down hurdle was the fact that I was too young to rent a car back then. So I had to catch public transport to schools with my hockey bag filled with balls, catching the streetcar, buses, and trains with the kids, and it was awesome. Taught me, again, a lot of hard work. I uh, saw 11,000 kids in 30 schools and 80 summer camps in about eight months. Went home for three or four years, got back into my school teaching, but never really lost this passion for building a business. Becoming a school teacher was wonderful. Um, I loved working with children. I loved helping Children now, even adults of all ages, go from no, I can't to yes, I can. Uh, And that happens a lot in any sort of any context, really. Um, I loved I loved the team dynamics of physical education and 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 helping different personalities and connect to them. But the one thing that school teaching didn't do was enable me to build something bigger than myself. And you know, it had it had a ceiling. So in 2008, I threw caution to the wind and I started Aussie X, which was the Aussie experience, merging my love of the physical activity and the no, I can't to yes, I can with sport, 
but into business. And it, and it grew and it grew really quickly for about three years where um, I really found all my leadership gaps coming to the foreground about three years in. We quickly went on Dragon's Den in the May of 2011. And in that next three to four or five months before we went on air, the business blew up and all of my leadership gaps came to the foreground. Namely, I thought leadership was motivational speeches and problem solving. So when something didn't go well, I took the work off the team. I put it onto my plate. I thought leadership was my responsibility to fix everything. So I wasn't sharing decision-making power. And then the second part was when under pressure and having to lean into the more difficult conversation when things weren't working, I tended to avoid it and just fix it myself. And I kept on getting out of integrity with myself, with the team. I kept on getting caught in little fibs and lies and wasn't telling the truth as much as I should, and it, and it weighed me down. It weighed me down to the point where I had a bit of a, you know, a pretty crucible moment. I was sleeping on the office floor. You know, I was just beat down mentally, physically, emotionally, everything. Knew of this work in Australia that worked with pro sports teams that's specifically focused on empowering decision-making and honest conversations, which we now call real talk at Performance by Design, the company I'm I'm very proud of. Flew in a bloke, Jared Murphy from England, who became my mentor and helped me basically build a performance by design system with my team at Aussie X. And the experience was completely transformational. Luckily, Jared started working with us eight days before we went on air for Dragon's Den when things got really real. Um, and truth be told, in the, in the workshop that he ran, the kickoff day now, the team said, Emil, we love you for your energy and passion and enthusiasm, but can you let us make a decision and stop taking work off us? And that was the day I realised that, you know, safety to build an environment where we can have open, honest conversations about performance, irrespective of positions on the team, really underpins everything that we do. And so from that painful experience inside of Aussie X, I now am lucky enough to turn my pain into my purpose. So now I run around all over the place here in Toronto and North America, helping organisations of all different shapes and sizes build their very own performance by design system wrapped around creating a psychologically safe environment for everyone to feel that they can speak up, share their truth, practice real talk, which is not only the difficult conversations, but just as important to catch the good. And so that's a bit about us. So it's, it, the, the pain to the purpose is really a relevant thing for me because after two years building the performance by design system at Aussie X with Jared's tutelage, in a feedback session, the team essentially asked me to exit the kids' company and go into this line of work. So I kind of got kicked out of my own company, <laughs> which was confrontational and enlightening at the same time. And, and thanks to creating a safe environment for those honest conversations to flow, it, it really helped me steer me in this direction. And uh, now I find that I don't, I don't work with youth. I just work with adults, but it's all pretty much the same stuff. <laughs> so, um, that that's quite a quite a bit to unpack over there. Uh, yep. One of the things 
that I've been really, really fascinated by when it comes to your personal story is how you took this passion for service and wanting to do something around sports for kids and were able to turn it into thought leadership, like a level where you're seen as the, you're seen as the guy, you're the guy. When it comes to high performance right now in North America, you're building for yourself a name inside that space. Could you walk us through how all of that transpired? Yeah, it was um, a massive shout out to to Jared Murphy, who, you know, who who was the founder of the original sort of company and then... um, but his service to me was phenomenal for five or six years, you know, for minimal to no money, just took me under his wing. And, um, and luckily for me, Jez, as he's known, has a bunch of mates from high school that live in Toronto. So him flying over to work with us was a bit of an excuse to have a few beers with his mates. But um, through his tutelage and understanding and recalibrating some some deep mistruths and misconceptions in this space, you know. Uh, I've touched on one of them being, you know, leadership being motivational speeches and problem solving. I've come to learn that really 21st century leadership is about role modelling and and problem empowering. How do we create an environment where the team is empowered to make a decision? Um, it's a complex world now. We've, we're... Many of our organisations are built in the old chain of command, 20th century um, industrial revolution model, yet we're now trying to operate in a more complex, data-driven, information-sharing environment. So chains of command are getting – those old systems are getting smashed apart, right? Um, The second thing, major thing that Jared's worked and the work that we do now brought to my attention back in 2011 was was that around culture, um, not so much being about parties, perks, and ping pong. <laughs> we certainly knew how to party at Aussie X when I first met Jared, which made it a really fun place to work. But to drive a high-performance culture, we needed to change the definition, not change our parties and our perks and our ping pong, keep that, but we really need to define our culture through behaviour. What are the behaviours we accept and reward of each other? Because that's what drives results, behaviour. So just a mindset shift that culture's about the behaviours we accept and reward of each other. And so by virtue of leadership being role modelling, what are those core keystone team behaviours that you need to get clarity on so that you know what to reward and challenge of your team. And once I got that framework and a bit of a change of mindset and then learnt the real talk process, which is what we teach today and take teams through, um, which is, again, not just the difficult conversations, but as much as it is important about catching the good. So grabbing those little wins that are about progress, that are about behavior, effort, process, and not necessarily about the massive result and catching the good so that we build enough dollars in the trust bank, as we like to call it, so that when it comes time to having a difficult conversation, we've got a few dollars to withdraw if need be. So when I went through the process, get clear on who we are and what we stand for by virtue of purpose, values, and behaviors, 
spend some time understanding our individual differences and communication styles and then practicing real talk. Once I went through that process with Jared and then taking that framework, the understanding and the data from the real talk to then build a system with my team and with their input, it became, you know, we turned our fun party vibe into a high-performing culture because we married good, honest conversations wrapped around our code in with that jovial, enthusiastic culture that we'd already built. And so my lived experience is, I think, what puts me into really good stead now working with teams, you know, big multinationals, global firms to teams of 30 or 40 that are still trying to figure out, you know, their place in the world, right? So it's from and me, it's the it's the it's the lived experience going through it to then share the love of the work now. Wow. So I like that phrase, lived experience, right? You know, a lot of people that listen to a show like this are trying to figure out what is my thought leadership? Where yeah. am I? Uh, somebody who can be seen as the go-to authority in a space. And I guess a lot of it has to do with your lived experience, right? You can't become a thought leader just in an abstract way. It's got to be in a very Uh, practical fashion, right? You want to just dive into that a little more, Em? Yeah, absolutely. So the love for the work came through the lived experience. And now that I get to consult for teams, a real joy of the work, and this marries into my profiling. So as I said earlier, there's a big section of our work that's around understanding individual differences and communication styles using psychometric profile tools. We like to use insights discovery. We find the reporting's really good and it's easy to understand. Understanding and developing my self-awareness around my profile being an extroverted relationship-oriented person, I've come to understand, you know, the strengths of mine are you know, enthusiasm, ideas, optimism, being around people and, and grabbing insights, right? I love learning new things and then sharing that and seeing people get benefit from it. That's a real joy that I have connected to my insights profile. So that marries into this work really well. So now that I will work with various teams from engineering to advertising to everything in between, I love grabbing the patterns of what's happening, irrespective of what the company does, whether they build engineering bridges, (laughs) right, or they do beautiful marketing campaigns, capturing the patterns around people around what drives a high-performing culture because for us it's about performance. First and foremost, real talk, your culture code, understanding each other, building systems is all about producing better results and over a sustained period. Make no mistake about that. Yeah. By going around, and one thing that I have successfully done that I'm proud of is I journal quite regularly whether it's in the morning or the end of the day, preferably to the start and the finish. And over time, I then grab my page, my journal once a month or so, and look at the insights that I capture. 
And then I look for the patterns and go, isn't that interesting? This big multinational engineering firm is having the same people issues as this 40-person advertising agency. Then, then you can start to build out your thought leadership and grab a concept that is running through all different teams, expand on it, grab a story of a lived experience, yeah. grab a study that validates that point, attach it to a model, link it to a metaphor, and now I'm really communicating to both the left and right-hand side of the brain, yeah. and I'm bringing to light something that is hopefully uncovering potentially an unknown unspoken, right? Yeah, yeah. Or a known unspoken, right? Because you want to, you want your thought leadership to create further curiosity and develop, ooh, that's happening to me, but I never thought about it that way. And then once that individual can grasp the concept and then, you know, if they needed the story to bring it to life or a study model metaphor, then it becomes more tangible and they can do something with it. And that's what's really important, doing something with it, which is why I really love the work that we do because it's it's not just driving concepts, um, it's driving actual practical application, right? Practical application that embeds into the way they operate, how they start their week, end their week, conduct meetings, the frequency of meetings, all that stuff matters in building your very, you know, very own, as we call it, performance by design system. You know, the way you describe this is pretty darn brilliant. You know, you, 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 you've taken um, the thinking aspect, the intellectual aspect of coming up with the concepts that can, you know, really help people. And you've married it with action and application, yeah. you know, so concepts plus practical application equals brilliant results. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So I, I mean, I kind of just took what you gave me and I added the brilliant results at the end, but that's to yeah. me, to me, what this is all about. What makes me excited to speak to you M, about your thought leadership is that you've been someone who, you know, had the lived experience of having had this company and, and working on building a culture and you thought you had a culture, but it wasn't really the type of culture that generated high performance. And in fact, it no. added a lot of things onto your shoulders. When you yeah. figured out what wasn't working about how you were leading, you were able to shift all that. And then you got so passionate about it. You decided, look, I just want to teach other people how to take this high performance culture concept and turn it into a uh, a lived experience, a practical application. And I think that's what makes the way you do it different from other people. I mean, there's lots of people I've talked to that are culture experts that yeah. have sat down and done DISC or, you know, Strengths yeah. Finder or, you know, you name it. Uh, what's, what's the yeah. other ones? Myers-Briggs and all that jazz. Yeah. And these are people who've, you know, maybe had an HR background. There's a lot of people with an HR background who come and say, I understand why – how to, how to develop culture. Well, I've, I've worked in HR, but they've never really run a yeah. team. They've never really yeah. understood how to do that. Do you want to talk about the difference between somebody who is, 
just um, living in an ivory tower versus someone who's actually been on the ground and worked with teams and done their darndest to to elicit high performance. Yeah. There's a couple of things that come up there. Um, it's funny, we're just decorating our new office here and, and f- we're putting up these little posters that are going to probably sit up here. And this one says culture and leadership are doing things. We do leadership and we do a great culture. So by that we mean <clears throat> it's about the application, right? So if if we know that behaviours drive our results and to, to use the purpose of our work to take the chance out of our client's culture, we need to – what we're saying is let's take the chance out of the behaviours that – we're going to reward and challenge of each yeah. other, right? Right. And at the end of the day, if a high-performing team is one where everyone feels safe, psychologically safe, knowing that emotional and psychological pain to the brain is perceived as the same as physical to the brain, which is a wild thought, which is why we're hearing a lot about psychological safety. Two-year study by Google, 100 teams, what's... What are the core determinants to high performance? Psychological safety, number one, by a streak. And that's the shared belief that it's okay to take a risk in this team, that I belong, my voice matters, speak up, catch the good, lean into the tough conversations. So if we've got that safety and then clarity on what we want to reward and challenge, then you can start to systematize it. And by system... And this is where, to answer your question, we get it wrong or we we don't don't fully understand it. The system that we're talking about here really is just an intentional and relevant meeting cadence and review process. So one thing, there's a few things that sport teaches us really well that the corporate sector can learn from. Um, Number one, it's all about the team. The defence must communicate with the offence Sport also teaches us that behaviours drive our results because it's so very visual, right? Um, Secondly, we've got to identify and develop our talent. So we've got to make time to build relationships with our teammates and practice real talk with our teammates and understand our individual differences with our teammates. So not looking external at our relationships but looking at our internal relationships because the stronger we are internally – the stronger our customer service becomes externally. Then the third thing that we talk a lot about is reviewing performance. Sport reviews performance really well with games. We we watch them, we review them, but we review them through the lens of not only the results, but the behaviors and process that drives those results. So now we're not just looking at the P&L, we're looking at are we driving the right behavior and the right process? So if we get that right, the scoreboard will take care of itself. So with those three things in mind, the missing link that we see a lot is a misunderstanding by business leaders by way of setting their business up for their team to intentionally connect with each other, right, which we call care, which is time, time together to build relationships and practice real talk we often misunderstand the time it takes to build the trust required to build a high-performing culture. It doesn't yield results immediately. It's playing 
the long game in a short games world and backing in the fact that the strength of your internal relationships will ultimately drive a sustainable, high-performing culture in the long term. And a lot of teams aren't willing to do the foundational work to get there. And that's why I love our work because a lot of the time it's a two, you know, one, two, three-year deal knowing that we're, we're, we're building something we want we want to build to last, right? Yeah. Um, and so people that the individuals inside of companies that are trying to do this from a HR perspective often get railroaded because they're part of the team. So as external consultants, we support the HR person to help build the system that brings all their great their great work to to life because it's difficult to build it from within. You need that external support to hold the line and hold the team accountable to actually executing the very simple and practical tools that are easy to do, but they're also easy not to do. And so holding the line on those very basics, how we start our meetings, are we inclusive in our meetings? Is everyone's voice heard? Is there enough frequency for people to get to know each other? You know, all these things matter and it's difficult to see what's working and what's not, especially early on when you're inside of it, right? When you're inside of it, it's difficult. Yeah, that's awesome, man. You know, you're about to do a TEDx talk. Yes. I, I I don't want you to give away what you're going to do at the talk because obviously that's that's yeah. exciting and whatnot. Yeah. But I'd love to have you go into the thinking that's helping you produce yeah. that TEDx talk. What is it yeah. that you feel is important for people to understand that's going to make them want to watch this TEDx talk and share this TEDx talk with other people? I think that'd be valuable for everybody to, to hear here. Yeah. What springs to mind, yeah, without without sharing it completely, um, you know, COVID has really shone a light on on culture. You can behave badly and get good results, right? Mm-hmm. A prominent example, you know, when you think of Google, you, you couldn't count probably in the thousands of their scoreboard ticking over of making money, right? So their scoreboard is great. They've got high performance. But in the period of about 2.15 to 18, they took their eyes off culture and they took their eyes off the behaviours that were being just rubbed under the carpet, pushed under the carpet, which was a lot of misogynistic, sexist. uh, There was, you know, um, even some some bullying going on, Um, some some harassment uh, cases that were just, there. we'll be right because the scoreboard's ticking over. And then in 2018, I think globally 20,000 Googlers walked out the front door saying this has to stop, right? So with um, COVID, we've seen a few businesses who were going really well with strong culture really plummet because of the fact that their industry wasn't able to function anymore. And we saw some businesses that maybe sold hand sanitizer explode simply because of that market trend, right? But then as COVID dissipates and the poor behavior 
process relationships that's actually not being surfaced because the scoreboard's ticking over soon gets revealed by the curtain coming back, right? Mm-hmm. And so for a lot of organisations that had weak cultures, depending on the market they were in, you know, they didn't really survive or they just survived. The mediocre cultures were able to stay flat or dip a bit, but the strong cultures actually got stronger because one thing I've noticed in this work, stronger cultures through adversity get stronger. <laughs> it 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 sharpens them, right? Scarcity, they become more resourceful, they stick together. And that's the real indicator of a high-performing culture. When under pressure, are we able to still keep form, keep true to our values and behaviours, right? And again, is, is it Enron, you know, integrity etched in their in granite in their New York office, yet were completely non-integrous stealing people's money, right? There's a lot of there's a lot that COVID brought to un, to the world of culture that understanding that what actually drives culture is our internal behavior, our internal connection, and the strength of our relationships and our ability to have real talk. Right? So to go all the way around the loop what a lot of companies we're working with and in across all industries now with a very we've got more diversity people are struggling with real talk having and conducting conversations about performance because more people are getting offended by certain things and it's becoming a more complex world so mm. in our line of work we don't care what sex, race, any what, where you come from or where you've been. We take all that on board. We appreciate you as the individual, and we expect you to behave this way, irrespective of your culture, your background, anything. Behavior here, and to be part of our team, we expect this behavior. So to have good conversations through the culture code, which is a set of really clear team behaviours and values and purpose is becoming more critical in the 21st century than probably ever before. People today, they, they crave authenticity, right? Yeah. They don't, they can tell when they're being sold a bill of goods. Yeah. And so it's, it's important to deliver, um, the truth to them and give them a, a chance to be a part of something. That's that really at the end, we all want to belong, right? Yeah, it, that's it. it's super important. We all want to belong. So and I think this is pretty darn brilliant. And I'm I'm really glad you're doing this talk. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it when it comes out. I'm glad that you're um, looking at doing a, a book as well, because I think yeah. your message needs to needs to go not just to your clients, although I know you, you want to hand out the book to clients. I think that's important and good. Yeah. But it also needs to go to people who aren't clients but are suffering in this regard because there's a lot yeah. of corporations that are. I was at an yeah. event um, back in June, and there was a few CEOs that got up and spoke at that event. And the number two issue that they all agreed they were dealing with was employee mental health. Yeah. The lockdowns had had a negative impact 
on a large swath of their people's mental health. And yeah. when I heard that, you know, I thought to myself, well, what can be done to help people's mental health? I mean, there's a lot of things that can be done, but definitely one of the things that can be done is to let people know they're valued and their voices yep. are included and what they have to say isn't going to be dismissed. I, I'm thinking that could really help with, with, with all that. And I'm wondering yeah. Em, in the work that you're doing right now, are you seeing, you know, employee mental health as a, as a big issue? And what, what, what are some of your thoughts on what has to happen to address that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's right up there. It's right up there. Um, and we always we always say that there's there's no wellness without well being, and by well being, what we're talking about is do we have a sense of belonging? Do we feel connected to those that we work with, particularly the immediate circle? You know that immediate six to ten to fifteen, and well being is predicated on on creating an inclusive environment, right? To, to build well-being and connection between you and I in the context of, say, a team of 15, for, for us to feel individually connected to the bigger part, we have to put in systems that include everyone's voice because inclusion holds up psych safety. Psych safety is the precursor to well-being, and then everything launches off of that because without it, you can have the smartest person on the team whose voice is not being heard and their idea is not being presented that can actually help the team move. Because a lot of today's modern business world living is speed. How do we manage speed faster? Um, or how do we manage adversity, sorry, faster than our opponent, right? And the short answer to that is improved teamwork. So the inclusion which is why our mission is to build inclusive, healthy and high-performing cultures and the inclusion being absolutely integral. So with COVID and going a lot to virtual, if not all, and now coming back, if we were running meetings where everyone's voice was heard, over time you get to a meeting looking for connections, searching for that yearning because that's a biological desire, right, need. Do I belong? Am I safe? Does my voice matter? These are these are subconscious scripts running in our psyche five times per second. We get to the meeting looking for connection. An hour later, we don't say anything, as does four other team members. Glog off, and that rinse and repeats for five or six, seven meetings in a row. Next thing you know, the video camera was off. Now people are hating meetings because all they do is feel more not included, <laughs> more disconnected. And so this is our, to go all the way back to the start sort of early on, the new 21st century leader understands that a primary role of their job is to create an environment for their team to perform. So that means we need to run a certain cadence so that we've got time to build trust and when we run our meetings, people don't dislike meetings. People dislike crap meetings. <laughs> How do we set our meetings up in a way where people feel included, their voice matters, and the best ideas win? And there's simple and practical tips to do that. Um, 
but the good leaders not only know that, it's embedded in the way they operate. It's not it's a, not a non-negotiable. It's the way we start our meetings. It's the cadence, right? All that stuff really matters because time, trust takes time to build. And that's why we call it the third C of trust. We've got character, competence. We all know that from a famous trust model. But the C that the corporate sector misses is care, which is time, time together to build relationships and practice real talk. And that's what I love about this work. We're really helping our clients build a system that cares for each other. Yeah. Wow, man. That's that's awesome. Deep, powerful, brilliant, beautiful. And your thought leadership is first rate. What you've created here is first rate. Uh, I, I'm excited to to see what you're going to create with your talk, your TEDx talk. I'm excited to to see you do bigger uh, work with bigger clients and with sports teams. And uh, I'm excited to have you put your book together. I think this is going to be first, first rate. So, Em, um, if people are interested in finding out more about you, more about the work you do, what's the yep. best way? We we're performancebydesign.co is our website. My email address is Emil at performancebydesign.co. So that's the first and foremost. We've um we've got our own YouTube page, our own LinkedIn, obviously. But best to go through our website or directly to me via email. Cool. Um and I just want to call out that it, you know, as much as you know, I'm I'm one part of our cog. The 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 thing I love about our organization is that we are a team ourselves. So you talk about my thought leadership, well, really it's ours. It's the culmination. So when we get together as a team, even though us four partners are on four different continents, essentially, <laughs> um, as is our Crazy. team, you know, when we get together, we share our wins, we share our shout outs, we share our challenges and we share our insights. So we're constantly actually going, well, it's funny you say that, John, in Toronto, Canada, a client of ours in Melbourne, Australia is going through exactly the same thing. And if you want, I'll connect you to that client and you two can have a conversation about how you're both managing the same issue. So it's really our thought leadership. Um, I just love bottling it up and and hopefully presenting it in a way that the concept is clear, but then the application is systematic. You know, so we use a lot of the um, James Clear atomic habits to 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 essentially bring the team's culture code behaviors to life through systematic real talk so we take the chance out of it yeah love it brother this is first rate stuff uh from my perspective you've created something uh magical in my opinion and people um People can really, really benefit from it. So, M, we end off each episode by asking you to give your top three expert action steps. These are your best pieces of advice for my listener yep. to take on immediately to take their business or their life to the next level. So what do you say? Yeah, good. I I reckon I, it's probably going to be the same as what I said last time, but I think we've got to be repetition because that's what I've learned. We've been working with Jared and Rusey and, the the best teams just do the basics for longer, right? So number one would be 
take some time to articulate, you know, your purpose, your values and and the behaviours that you want to see not only in yourself but your team. If you're a thought leader on your own, you'd look at it through the lens of sort of my leadership code, if you will. Um, if you've got a team, you'd look at it through the lens of the team and you do the work with the team. Why do we exist? How do we want to be recognised? And what behaviours must we role model and challenge of each other? So getting clear on who you are and what you stand for is step one for mine. Step two, uh, as I touched on earlier, to build your levels of self-awareness, go and spend the money on a on an insights profile or a disc profile and get to know, are you an introverted energy or more of an extroverted energy? Are you relationship-focused or task-focused and, and everything in between? Because we have pieces of all of it. We're not just one profile. We're a mixture, just at different intensities. So spending some time to develop your self-awareness, which helps you bring uh, it helps you understand the beautiful gifts that other people bring and the way that they communicate and like to be communicated to. That would be number two. Um, and then the third one would would have to be around the real talk piece. Um, you know, can, setting up a system where you conduct either self-reviews or team reviews on what's working, what can we do better, and what are we going to do about it? But essentially finding time, making time, so caring, as we would say, making time to practice real talk. And if you've got a team, make the time to just, you know, every sixth Friday or quarterly, take half a day and just go, hey, what's working? What can we do better? What are we going to do about it? And with that simple structure you stick to one thing for a period of time embed it and then and then look to make it better and i've and what i've really shared their team is really the, the the foundation of this work because that framework clarity on who you are and what you stand for understand your, your sort of profile and making time to practice real talk that framework or if you will can get transposed into anything, into your peewee hockey team, into your family, <laughs> right, into your business, into yourself. It's the same fundamental framework, but then it's about actually embedding time to review and and apply the work, right? Apply the apply the learnings. Oh man, this is this is first rate stuff. First rate stuff. I love it. And thanks so much for sharing uh, these three expert Thank action you, steps. Thanks for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom. Listener, Emil Stottom is the real deal. You know, I hope you took really good notes listening to this episode. If you didn't listen to it again and take really good <laughs> notes, reach out to him. I know a lot of people are going to listen to this and go, no, 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 I, I can't do that. Oh my God. He'll never, he'll never actually respond. Honestly, Believe me, he'll respond. If you I'll have respond. the guts to send the email, he'll respond. Yeah. He'll have a conversation with you. And that's that's something I just want to encourage you to take advantage of because I know most people won't. I know almost everyone's just gonna go, oh my god, I yeah. can't do that. But I, yeah. I wanna I wanna just double dog dare you to get out of your comfort zone and send him that email. You'll be surprised at what a wonderful interaction and connection you're gonna have. And uh the other thing I want to say to you, listener, is Go check out his website. 
check out what he's doing. Go to their YouTube channel. And when his TEDx talk comes out, check that out too. And listen, if you're uh, part of a big organization or if you've got friends that are big in, in big organizations, you may want to guide them to come and check out what Emil and his team are up to because it's first rate stuff. First, first rate stuff. And I'd like to say, you know, we've had a we've had a, a part to play in his success because we were part of his thought leader journey early on in the day when he was starting to think these things through. So God bless you, Emil, for for having Thanks, uh, Nikki. continued our friendship uh, throughout this uh, this journey that you've taken. It's wonderful. Beautiful, mate. Now, thank you again. And, and as you mentioned there, even whether, you have, whether you're large, small, big or whatever, reach out. We've got a team that's growing so we can – we can do, um, you know, free of service, a, a culture audit and diagnostic for 45 minutes over Zoom where we, we use a series of questions to help teams uncover where their culture is at today. And you leave that you leave that 45 minutes with some practical tools no matter what um, around you're basically applying some of the stuff that we've talked about today. So more than happy to, to field them um, to any of your listeners for sure. Oh, you're the man. You're the man. Awesome. Beautiful work, mate. Thank you again. Thank you. Yeah, of course. That wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's incredible guest, the one and only Emil Stadham, go to the show notes at thethoughtleaderrevolution.com or wherever you happen to listen to this podcast. Until next time, goodbye. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice.